Welcome back, everyone. This is Polite Politics. Noah Niederhofer joined here by Jenny Tayer and Dan Rosenfield. This is episode 15 of the podcast. So much to get into today, and we will jump right in there. But first, before we do that, want to go ahead and start off seeing how everybody's doing. Jenny Tayer, how are you? Good. I'm thinking a lot about what's going on in the news this week and, and just praying a lot. Um, for everyone, for this country to heal. Absolutely. Dan Rosenfield, how are you doing in Northwest DC? Great. Can I share a good thing and a bad thing? Please. Okay, good thing is I got to see Noah Niederhofer in the flesh after many months last night uh, from a a safe distance away and in a group of under 10. He shared his um, very wise uh, guidance on the best barbecue in DC. Bad thing is DC is slowly reopening, yet Jeter is has not returned. Um, and you know, don't get me wrong, Houston's great, but it's no Dallas. So we'll love for her to come back up here. Jenny, do you care to comment on the Houston Dallas rivalry? Um, I would just say that Houston is superior, uh, and we saw that this week when. We facilitated the uh, first uh, privately developed spacecraft uh, touchdown on the International Space Station, which was hugely facilitated by Houston, NASA. Thank you very much. Dan, your rebuttal? Touche, Jenny. Touche. Well, certainly, Jenny, obviously, from from two of your friends here, we, we look forward to hopefully having you back in D.C. soon. But uh, I'm glad that you and, and your family are hopefully staying safe, staying healthy there in Houston uh, until that time. So we first want to get into our big story, Jenny. As you mentioned, there has been so much going on in the news this week, whether it's NASA launch, uh, which, as you said, Jenny, is now docked at the International Space Station. We had uh, the president drafting an executive order about Twitter because Twitter had uh, put some some notices on some of the president's tweets. We've got, you know, mail-in voting and the conversation about voter fraud and whether or not that's been exacerbated and exaggerated and, and things like that. But really, the big story of the week, in addition to the coronavirus pandemic, really is the story of George Floyd. And so, Dan, I would like to kind of throw it to you. Can you give our listeners kind of a sense of what the story is and, and now how it's grown and developed over the course of this past week. I'm sure most of your listeners are quite well informed, but earlier this week, a man by the name of George Floyd um, was arrested in Minneapolis. And during the arrest was pinned down by an officer, Derek Chauvin, who uh, put his knee on the neck of uh, Mr. Floyd for several minutes, despite uh, Floyd saying that they can't breathe, despite Floyd already being subdued and under control. Um, But it really has turned into, yet unfortunately, um, another reminder of the challenges that um, systematically uh, oppressed communities in America face every day. So, um, and unfortunately has to be um, during a week of yet so much trial and tribulation and confusion as we slowly, hopefully, end our coronavirus lockdown. That's well said, Dan. And and I think one of the interesting things for for us as you know three white people is certainly to to listen and be able to reflect on the difficulties that these communities are expressing. While you know we don't necessarily need to vocalize our 
um, support in some ways, it's nice for them to obviously know that we are here in support of, of those kinds of um, struggles while, while not maybe experiencing them ourselves in, in our lives. We're certainly living through and seeing it with our own eyes now. Jenny, the death of Mr. Floyd has now turned into what became protests and have in some cases now spread where we've seen kind of rioting where the uh, precinct in um, Minnesota was was lit on fire. There was a liquor store across the street from that one that was also ablaze. And we've seen these protests, what, what started originally as peaceful protests, now almost become subverted and we've seen looting and some rioting can you take us through now how this is spread across the country because we saw it yesterday in multiple cities whether that was atlanta detroit minneapolis uh, all of these different places and how and how those have distracted from the original message of the original protests right there's been a lot of distraction from the original protests and there's many groups um i know even in Houston, um, you know, a group of black protesters approached a precinct and the officers there didn't really know what was going to happen next. But what ended up happening was that the group prayed with them. And I think we're missing a lot of that. And I think that's in part by some of these um, individuals who are hijacking the message and maybe even organized groups that are hijacking the message. Um, it's very concerning. I mean, there was a synagogue in LA that was vandalized with graffiti that said, you know, F, F Israel. I mean, that's not at all helping the message here and, and the victims. I think that's, um, that's taking away from it. And it really is hurtful, especially because, you know, we're all Jewish and we, we stand by this situation. We stand by the injustice and we we call it out. We call out the injustices, um, and you know, although we never have experienced this ourselves personally, like we don't have that fear going out as many do every day. Um, we stand in solidarity, and I I know that to our black friends and and members of our community, like we would totally stand by. And I've seen this a lot. You know, if you're going, you feel uncomfortable going outside to do your normal life routine. If you want to go on a jog, we will stand, we will jog with you. We will stand, we will literally stand beside you wherever you need us. Um, and it's very, it's very tragic what's happening to a number of businesses, to cities, um, and to residents and, and to police officers. And I think even journalists too, we saw that, um, I, I still don't understand why a CNN reporter was arrested um, in Minneapolis. That doesn't make sense to me that they had to, uh, they couldn't release him until it was confirmed that he was a member of the media, even though he was delivering a live report when he was arrested. I find that shocking. Um, and just the system overall. I think there does need to be a reform. Um, I know that the Houston Police Department, one of the chiefs, um, Acevedo wrote a piece in the Washington Post today on how you're going to need to recruit from the neighborhoods that are most hurt by this. That's exactly what you need to do. You need diversity and then you also need to reform the system because there's a lot of, um, you know, union type 
uh, establishment uh, rules and, and practices that protect officers, like in this situation, because there were several um, complaints about this one particular officer. And, um, and then we also saw that several others were at the scene and did not do anything. Um, so it's very disturbing in all fronts. Absolutely. Those three officers have yet to be arrested. And what we've seen, you know, Jenny, just to kind of follow up on that is that we've seen multiple journalists from multiple news organizations be arrested and uh, be confronted by police. Some have been hit by rubber bullets and uh, pepper sprayed and maced. Jenny, just from you know your point of view, you and I are, are both in the journalism world and, and both working as journalists. What is your sense in terms of of the level of of anxiety that some that you some of your colleagues have? Uh, certainly, I've seen some of some of the fear from some of mine. Not the fear to do our jobs, but how this is very much unlike anything we've seen with respect to the way that police are treating journalists. From what I've heard from the journalists that you know, are being hit by, say, rubber bullets or tear gas, it seems like they are, that is, you know, they're in the protest, they're embedded in the protest, um, or they're, you know, a little bit off to the side where they get, you know, hit with something that's part of that, that's targeting the larger group of protesters. And that's part of the risk of, of going out and, and reporting on the front lines. Um, and that's something that, we have to accept, but you know, there's also a lot of journalists that are afraid because groups inside these protests are actually monitoring their social media accounts and their live feeds of this and trying to specifically target them. And that is what scares me the most. Um, and I just hope that everyone stays safe. Absolutely. Dan, you wanted to get in on this? Yeah. I mean, I was just going to actually going to ask you uh, guys as journalists, what you guys were thinking and, um, how are you are you thinking of recommending any policy changes to um, like your organization's leadership or, or how do you see your roles changing over the next few weeks? That's tough. I mean, I, I think for me, anything is just to respect the job that journalists do. You know, you shouldn't be arrested simply for having, you know, kind of videoing and, and showcasing. If you're a member of the, the press, that's your job and so you shouldn't be arrested simply for doing your job you shouldn't certainly be assaulted or or, you know be tear gassed or pepper sprayed or shot with rubber bullets simply for being in that space and doing your job which is to showcase what's going on to your community so i think police should be much better about saying hey we need you to move to this side or you know we're about to set up you know either a barricade or or a rope line, we need you on the other side of that. So I think communication would be much better between the two. And I think what we've seen in some cases, I certainly don't want to paint the picture that it's happening all over the place, but there seems to be either an unwillingness or a bit of a a laissez-faire attitude on the part of maybe the, the police departments where they're just kind of in a situation where they're thinking, we'll just do this now. And beg forgiveness later they're just taking action and not really worrying too much about the consequences that's at least how it looks from from my vantage point what what do you think jenny right i think that you know it, it is there there are actually many um issues that i have with that and i think 
the general journalism community, like even the ones that um, openly and regularly criticize, let's say, the coverage of CNN, I think we've all come together and said, what the heck is going on here? And also uh, to mention the the um, the attack on the CNN building in Atlanta, that was really frightening. Um where we saw kind of like a stun grenade being thrown at officers and reporters that were in the building. Um, and there was, you know, live footage of that on CNN. It's very, it's very frightening what's happening. So um, it, there needs to be, it's same with the protesters and same with the police. There needs to be a um, united message um, because on the one hand you have police, uh, arresting a CNN reporter, and then in the next shot, you have them protecting um, the CNN building. So I, I'm confused here. And uh, same with the protests. You see um, protesters uh, surrounding police who are being threatened by um, some rioters in the group. And then you see others, you know, attempting to break into stores and business owners, you know, protecting their stores. And then some protesters saying, do not loot this store. This is not helpful to our message. Um, so on all fronts, I think it's chaos. Absolutely. And for me, just to, to speak a little about myself being from Atlanta, uh, it really was, was pretty disheartening to see what was happening at the CNN building and how it just really doesn't seem to have anything to do with the larger issues of Black Lives Matter and different things like that, which are, you know, very legitimate issues that are being protested. When people are breaking into and looting the College Football Hall of Fame, I really question, you know, how does this help the message? What are we doing here? This is not helping to accomplish any change whatsoever. And it does, again, as we, as we mentioned, distract from the message and so it's something that i also want to move towards when it as it pertains to the coronavirus pandemic is that the coronavirus pandemic has definitely affected the elderly be i mean it's overwhelmingly but for even those that aren't the elderly it has predominantly affected people of color um black and brown communities and so a lot of these people that are protesting belong to those communities and these are communities that have already been hit hard by the coronavirus and mayor keisha lance bottoms uh, the mayor of atlanta said that if people were at the protests they probably will want to get a coronavirus test this week to see whether or not they have it obviously some people many people wearing masks in the protests but simply being around that many people right now as dan said as we're kind of starting to to do reopenings there's still a lot of people that might be asymptomatic and still might have this. And obviously we want to make sure that these communities are not hurt even further by what's happening with these big mass gatherings of people. Through all of this, the underlying issues are, as we talked about, you know, the institutions and the systems that are in place that have led to systemic oppression. And Jenny, I think that was such a great point that the you know one of the police chiefs in houston made which is in order for people to really protect and serve their communities which is the the job of a sworn police officer is protect and serve it really does help to have people from those communities and if you there's so much distrust right now among 
communities and the people that are sworn to protect and serve them. And if you were able to recruit those people, you can really try to change the culture from within and break up some of those institutional problems that we've seen. And it really takes a new wave and new thinking and new ideas and, and fresh blood in the organization. But Jenny, to your point, what are some of the other things that you yourself have experienced and seen when it comes to some of these systems that are currently in place? I personally um, have seen white uh, people in in my community, even growing up, um, getting away with crimes because of that very system, Um, because of affluence, because of money, because, um, you know, their parents were in positions of power. Um, And these were pretty egregious crimes um, and something that it, it, it is 10,000 times worse than forgery, you know, than giving someone a fake $20 bill or a forged check or, or whatever it was in this case. I, I'm just, that is what is truly outrageous to me and, and scares me so much. And I think you're right. Like, I think we have to really reform the system and we have to look at all of the different safety nets that these officers have uh, when there are complaints against them. And the same goes for those committing crimes. Um, they should be held, everyone committing those crimes should be held to the same standard. Um, no matter what your dad does, if he's, you know, the chief of police or the chief, you know, constable or whatever, uh, or if he has a lot of money, I mean, I've seen literally stories scrubbed from the media or never reported at all. Um, that is what is so shocking to me and, and scares me so much. And, and we do have to reform that. It's just plain wrong. One of the ideas that we have about justice in general and the law is that justice is supposed to be blind and it's supposed to be equal and and treat everyone fairly and everybody's supposed to be treated fairly under the law but jenny as you're as you pointed out you know that certainly does not happen and that's certainly one of the things that comes with wealth and influence um something that is uh these communities have not been able to certainly build and wield sadly and tragically we as america passed a marker in the battle that we've been fighting that the world has really been fighting against the coronavirus pandemic we here in the united states have passed the 100,000 person death toll from the coronavirus and that is obviously still ongoing and still goes up higher while we are seeing some positive trends as states and and other places start to reopen slowly and we might see a, a second wave later in the fall, and, and we're not expecting to see a vaccine until next year. So that number will continue to climb higher. But I want to go, and I want to talk to the both of you, and I'll, we'll start with you, Dan. 100,000 people, when you hear that number and when you see that number, what does that mean to you? How does that make you feel? It's a huge number, but as we see from so many other large death events or things in in America when we think about the thousands who have died in uh, the Iraq and Afghanistan war, the global war on terror, we think about um, thousands who died in 9-11. Unfortunately, I don't think it will hit America until 
it won't really hit people until it is within their hyper local community. Um, and I think here in DC, we, can, we really have seen the impact. Um, you know, it's one of the most, uh, it's one of the highest rated COVID cases um, in America. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, they can have as many numbers and uh, they can talk about the 100,000 and unfortunately continue to throw, but um, I don't think people will really realize its toll until it hits their hyper-local community and then then maybe we'll, we'll really start figuring this out. That's a really interesting point, Dan, about it. It doesn't hit home until it hits your community and I think that's that's something where you can read about what's going on in New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco and all of these different places, New Orleans, Detroit, some places in Georgia, especially Southwest Georgia. And you can read about all of these things, but for them, they're kind of a little bit out of sight, out of mind. You can see the pictures and the video, but it doesn't affect you as much, maybe. Now, the shutdown, obviously, has affected everyone across, but but in terms of the loss of life, I think that's a great point that you made. Here in D.C., we've we've lost less than 500 people from the coronavirus, but the fatality rate is above 5%, which is, is pretty incredible in, in terms of the what happens if you get the coronavirus and the likeliness that you'll pass away from it is just really pretty astronomical. Jenny, I, I want to ask you the same question that I asked Dan. When you hear that number, when you see 100,000 people lost and, and you see some of the front pages that list the names and things about them how does that make you feel what did you experience when when we passed that that grim milestone yeah it's absolutely just it's depressing and it's really it's sad and you know just to think about that um and and the battles we're fighting outside of coronavirus as a result of the shutdown like how much the suicide rate has gone up, for example, um, or addiction. Um, it's really, it's really frightening to me. Um, and you know, when we talk about, well, it won't, you know, really hit you until it's, it's in your own, you know, in your own home or in your, in your community bubble. Um, I think we're seeing that in part in New York, um, where, there's been um, a large proportion of the deaths um, that took place in nursing homes. And um, I know that there's been um, a, a Fox weather person, um, Janice Dean, she's spoken a lot about this. She lost family members because of this policy that um, Governor Cuomo put in place that required nursing homes to take in recovering COVID patients. Um, when we knew that it was the most vulnerable community, the elderly community, and those with with other underlying conditions. And um, to see what those families have come out and said, um, because now we're finding out as more journalists, you know, tackle that story because of these people who are speaking out like Janistine, um, those numbers could be in the thousands. And um it's just, it's really, for, for those people, I just hurt so much. And just to hear those stories, it, it does, um, you know, we're all Americans and, and that does hurt. We're a family. Um, 
and that does feel like it's it's right in my backyard and I, I'm just hurt by every every death. Absolutely. There's there's a a kind of a, a, a spark in every every life and, and you know, every life lost is uh, hurts us a, a little bit. Um, you know, and I think it's important to remember that while we haven't really done any kind of maybe memorial to them as of this point I think we will, I I hope, have some kind of public monument or memorial in many different communities to the people that we lost so that they live on beyond just kind of our memory, but the toll that this has taken on our country won't be forgotten, uh, certainly in this generation or any other. I do think also, Jenny, as you mentioned, that it is important that, that we continue to cover these stories about what people in positions of leadership did and didn't do and how that has affected the amount of lives potentially saved or lost as you mentioned with governor cuomo and and the different steps that people in positions of leadership took not just the president and members of his task force and and people like that but also on the state and local level it's very important to hold people accountable to the things that they said and also did during this time that that either led to saving lives or or led to unfortunately tragically additional loss of life i want to move to some uplifting stories here we did talk a little bit about spacex launching into space and now uh, today docking at the international space station i feel like nasa is probably the organization across the country that really enjoys majority support across Democrats, Republicans, white, black, Latino, it doesn't matter your race, your religion, it doesn't really matter. NASA has enjoyed such widespread popularity and support, and and I thought that it was really nice to see the launch from Cape Canaveral and how this hopefully will give people a little bit of hope and inspiration during this time. Jenny, did you feel that with the launch, that was something that was kind of celebrated across social media and the country at large. Yeah, it was like the first time we kind of took a deep breath and and rallied around our country um, again this week, and it was it was a really uh, nice breath of fresh air, and it was incredible to watch that um, and to put our differences aside. Um, and I, I just it was so cool to watch them dock this morning at the International Space Station. Um, just, you know, and their little, uh, kind of videos that the astronauts are posting. Uh, I know one of them had their son's dinosaur toy with them and it's kind of like floating around in all of the different videos and you can see it. Um, but it's just, it's, it was basically a flawless, um, performance, uh, by NASA, by SpaceX, by the astronauts, by everyone involved, um, so just to see that um, happen and, and, and see the history, like that is a historic moment. This is, um, you know, this is, a, this is a, a company, that a private company that developed a spaceship so that Americans could go to space on their own, that we didn't have to hitch a ride with, with the Russians, for example, um, and, and that we, we now know we can do it. That's a huge feat. It's a pretty incredible step for human innovation and obviously unlocking this next step of commercial space travel. 
I saw that the pilots of the spaceship did briefly switch to manual controls before then allowing the computers and the guided system to take over the rest of the docking process. Dan, how steady are your hands? Do you, do you think that you would have been able to uh, take her in there manually? I put my mind to it. No, no, I think you, you had a great point of how um, NASA enjoys this support from everyone. It's uh, Sure, it, it is a government organization and it's run by a political appointee, but um, I think no matter the administration, no matter what happens in the rest of the country, people's dreams from all backgrounds would always be will always be to work for NASA. Um, and, and NASA is the epitome of if you are in the STEM fields or, or um, which is such an amazing thing that that can bring us. It, it's like space is this unknown frontier, yet people still see it as if you're exploring, if you're, if you're contributing to the better understanding of space, it's um, still a feat. Um, and I think this launch also showed the importance and the value of public-private partnerships at the federal level. Um, so, uh, you know, we're often so worried about what will happen or, you know, how, how companies are interacting with politics and government. And, uh, this just goes to show that, um, you know, sure, this launch had government support and was facilitated by NASA, but SpaceX did the brunt the work. Um, granted, we could also uh, go into a whole conversation of Elon Musk and Trump and their their relationship. Um, but you know, generally, it was because of the innovation and the technology and the R and D from SpaceX, which just goes to show how put a little trust in the uh, corporate America and things will be all right. And American innovation, just in general, of, of creating these things and, and where it goes from there. Very, very, very well said in terms of the, you know, the private-public partnerships. And you mentioned space as, as a mystery. I think it's one of the things that constantly appeals to us. I think Stephen Hawking said in a commercial is when we look up at the stars, we have that kind of mystery of what's up there and, and, and having this this wonder of what lies beyond our our site and our earth which is which is wonderful um trekkies would call space the final frontier so you know it's you know not just one one frontier there it's the final frontier well you look at at uh you, you said look up at the stars unfortunately we can't usually see them here in the city um but when jenny and i uh are exploring the beauty of hill country or some amazing parts of texas that are not populated that oh oh my gosh unrelated to politics it's just a little plug for hill country and any of the unpopulated areas of texas where you can actually see the stars shout out to plano and other parts of texas where you can go ahead and see the stars my my suggestion to y'all is just occasionally go out and look up at the moon look up at the stars and gaze and wonder about what exists beyond our earth our solar system and all of those other things that can kind of give us that perspective on how small we are in this this big universe uh, that that exists another uplifting story that we have comes to us from massachusetts there was an 103 year old woman living in a nursing home and she contracted coronavirus and and got very sick they had uh, they called her granddaughter and said you know this is probably want to say you're your goodbyes this is this might be here the end and 
was not expected to recover, but did make a miraculous recovery and celebrated by drinking an ice-cold Bud Light, which is uh, just kind of a nice thing. It says that that was a treat that she enjoyed before the pandemic but hadn't gotten to have in a while. What better way to uh, kick coronavirus's button than celebrate with a with a nice beer? So with that being said, I'd like to go ahead and get into our final thoughts on the week that was and the week to come. Jenny Taylor, let us start with you. I hope we can learn to heal as a country and that we can come together um, as as Americans to do good and to to reform a system that is broken. And I think that we are going to move towards that. And I. I, I pray for everyone protesting, uh, for the police officers, uh, for the journalists, um, and and for for the black community as a whole. Um, I, I pray, I pray for you. Well stated. Okay, Dan Rosenfield, over to you. Definitely a tough week. It makes us all think. It also makes us grateful for the privilege that a lot of us do have. Hopefully, will challenge us this week and in the coming weeks to think about how we can um, take advantage of that privilege for the benefit of our community. But uh, like I said earlier, um, excited and grateful that we're slowly coming out of this lockdown because it has made us grateful for the like relationships that we have, and uh, excited to have Jenny Taylor back in DC. Certainly uh, can speak to that. I think we. There's, this was a, a tough week, no doubt about it. This was a, a tough week for America, and looking now at what lies ahead, whether it's going to be bringing in the National Guard to deploy, does this become more violent? What happens now as we get into this coming week? Will we see more violence? Will we see more looting? How does this affect the business owners that now would potentially be able to open up their stores a little bit with reopening that instead of welcoming in customers and doing business now have to repair broken windows and replace product that might have been taken. So that's something that obviously I uh, there are so many people that are hurting right now and it's a little bit overwhelming to think about all of the people that are affected by what is going on in this country right now. What I think in terms of my final thoughts on the week is that we're experiencing a leadership vacuum and it doesn't really seem that anybody has stepped up to claim necessarily the moral high ground, the moral authority of somebody that both sides will listen to and come together and say you're right or this person is right there doesn't seem to be anybody that's able to calm the fearer. And that's not necessarily to say that we need calm right now. I think we should definitely have the expression of, of, of rage and injustice that is occurring. But on both sides, I saw Biden released a statement that didn't have the word police in it and did not offer any kind of solutions. And then on the other side... The president tweets out a message which has thugs in all caps and, and then had a quote from a, a, 
a racist police chief from Miami back in the day who had said when the looting starts, the shooting starts, and obviously that is not helpful as well. So when you have kind of these two important political figures who are facing off against each other in the election that will be taking place this November, I don't see from them, either one of them seizing the opportunity to try to heal and unite the country, and I'm not seeing it from anybody in you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not seeing it on the part of, of maybe necessarily senators issuing joint statements together. It seems like we're experiencing this vacuum of leadership, and so I'm interested and in, to see whether or not we will have somebody step up. I'm not sure who it is, who it might be, whether it would be some kind of combination of black leaders from across the country, whether it would be maybe a Stacey Abrams type who tries to elevate her profile by doing so, maybe all of the past presidents. We've talked about this on many occasions on this podcast. What is the role of the past presidents of the United States? Could we see President Obama and President Trump and President George W. Bush and Jimmy Carter could we in and Bill Clinton could we see a statement from all of them together that would be pretty unprecedented i i don't necessarily i'm i'm certainly not holding my breath on that but could we see something like that from people in in the past of the country so i am looking forward to most to see whether or not where the the direction of the protests go and whether or not we see someone step up in this role of leadership that we clearly need right now in this country very very busy week and i'm sure we have another one in front of us thank you all for listening really appreciate it again 15 episodes we've done now of polite politics want to thank jenny tayer and dan rosenfield for joining me this week we'll see y'all next time on polite politics have a great week